All right, Ephesians chapter three, here we go. All right. <laughs> what do you do, eh? <laughs> That's pretty good. Doris comes, they got coffee for her, they got a spot for her, they got it ready to go. Listen, they know who counts. That's right, they know who counts. <laughs> All right, Doris. Go, Doris. <laughs> We've got to tell you, Pastor Les is with us tonight, and in the future on some Wednesdays, he's going to be coming in and teaching some Wednesdays for us. And uh, so uh, we'll look forward to that later on down the road. And he came by tonight to see what kind of format we have, and uh, we're glad that he's here. He's a real blessing. Real blessing. So, here we go, Ephesians chapter 3. Ask you a few test questions here real quick. Okay. Where was Paul when he wrote the letter? Prison. Where? Rome. Rome. This is an exhorting letter. It's not a correction letter. There is some correction in it, but very little, because it was written to exhort the church. Because already, when the church was first... In its infancy, people were trying to uh, pervert the gospel, and that's been going on since day one. But the, one of the purposes of Ephesians, which was a strong church, as a matter of fact, and as I told you before, they had a colossal uh, statue of Diana, one of the Greek gods in Ephesus, and the people worshipped there. And it was right on a major trail, north, south, east, west, for people to get from Egypt, where there was great riches, to Syria and Damascus, and to Asia. So it's a very important place. So the church in Ephesus was extremely important that he encouraged that church and tell them uh, how proud he was of them. And uh, last week we looked at uh, uh, the one new man concept. And what's that mean, one new man? Anybody remember now? Yes, Darlene. <laughs> the Jews and the Gentiles are coming together as one new man. In Christ Jesus. In there was enmity between the Jew and the Gentile. They were, the Jews treated the Gentiles badly, and we treated the Jews badly. And we have been for quite a while now, thousands of years. They're God's chosen people, and Satan hates God. So who do you think he's going to pick on? But uh, God has made eternal promises to the children of Israel, we're seeing them unfold as we uh, are alive today. Um, 1948, when they got their land back, it was a miracle. Amen. Remember the prophecy said, can a nation be born in a day? I mean, nobody expected Israel to get their land back. But through the sovereignty of God and his promises to the children of Israel, they're firmly entrenched now in their land. We've also shared how that... Um, the Arabs really didn't do anything with the land. Uh, Mark Twain said it was a dust bowl 
from top to bottom, and he couldn't see what was appealing to people about it. But in the book of Isaiah and in other prophecies, the word says that streams will break forth in the desert, and there'll be rivers of living water coming. And they have taken the desolate places in Israel, and they've turned them into very productive farmlands. They supply a good amount of vegetables and fruit to Europe. It's amazing what God has done there in Israel. And it's all fulfillment of prophecy because he told them he would do it. And they're not going to get moved off of their land. That's not going to happen. So you keep your eyes on Israel. But tonight we're going to look at Ephesus, okay? But uh, verse 1, Paul calls himself a prisoner um, to the Gentiles. And so what's happening here is, how many of you remember what happened to Paul in Acts chapter 8? Anybody? Nobody? So I'm sorry, chapter 9. Chapter 9. What happened to Paul? I want, I want to read along with you starting at verse 1. Uh, and we're going to tie in this calling, being called to the Gentiles. We're the Gentiles, Okay. Everybody that wasn't Jewish was a Gentile. They were considered to be uh, ungodly and unclean. They weren't allowed to eat with them. They weren't allowed to keep their customs. And Saul was commissioned uh, to round up Jews and Jewish believers because he was Jew. He was a, uh, a quite a staunch Jew, as a matter of fact. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Later on, he call, he's going to call himself the chiefest of sinners. Yeah. So when, when he got saved, it was a big salvation. But God had a purpose for Paul just as he has a purpose for us. And we're going to read about that right now in Acts chapter 9. It says, verse 1, Meanwhile, Saul, I'm reading out of the New Living, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. He was commissioned to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues of Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers he found of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them both men and women back to Jerusalem in chains. Wow, huh? Pretty fearsome. And as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Was Jesus a Jew? Yeah, He's, yeah he was. And so I find it quite interesting that he calls out here, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because Saul's commission was to hunt down Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem in chains. And he had been the one that held uh, some of the coats when Stephen was stoned. He was present there. And it said he was in agreement with what happened to Stephen. So there's going to be a big change that takes place here in a few minutes that, that the world just is still having trouble catching up with, and the Jews are too. That light came, and, he said, and, and Paul said, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, 
and you will be told what you must do. Just imagine the context and what this is happening in. <laughs> he, he was coming to get Harold. He was coming to hunt us down and take us back and, and be a part of the killing. But God interrupted Paul's plan, Saul's plan, for the plan that God had. And we can uh, see a, a parallel to this in our lives. Uh, we were anti-God. Ephesians 2 talks, like, uh, talks about we were apart from God, having no hope, not, re not receivers of the covenant. We didn't uh, stand to inherit any of the promises that were made to Israel. So what a dramatic turnabout here. It's a miracle. It's a bona fide miracle taking place here. And so he said, I'm Jesus. Now get up and go into the city. And it says, the men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him to Damascus by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. What, what's so neat about this story and what is so uh, amazing to it is how things lined up for our sake. God lined up things for our sake. Yeah, most of the time he's in control. When we let him be in control. Just think of the things that lined up here first. First, he came and he died for our sins. We have forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. We obtain grace. By grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself. It is the gift of God. We've been given a wonderful gift. So God had a plan all along to reach the Gentiles. Isn't it interesting that he used a feared man to reach the Gentiles? So a lot of people over the years, as, as I've been in the ministry and stuff, have told me that God can't possibly forgive me. God can't possibly use me. I did this and I did that and I did this. God can use anybody that wants to be used. Some of you might have had a knock you off your horse uh, experience. You were heading in one direction and he immediately turned you around and he got your attention. Sometimes calamities happen in our life and it sure gets our attention. Because God has a plan for every one of us. Amen. So, just think of the things that lined up. Saul's on his way. He got papers to persecute the Jews. He didn't even know what was going to happen on the road. The sovereignty of God. God's story is so rich toward us. And so he is so merciful to us. And he said, I like what it says in, in the first verse. Saul was, uh, the King James says, he was breathing out threatenings. In other words, he was like a dragon trying to search down God's people and exterminate them. Well, he had a, you know, being Jewish, you know, he thought he was right, yeah. you know, in his righteousness for yeah. God. So he was zealous. That's the word I would use. He was a, a, zealous. a zealous Pharisee, and he was also jealous. <laughs> yeah. So he thought he was on the right side. Well, doesn't religion always think it's on the right side? Yeah. We better not go there on that one. But <laughs> when uh, 
Satan couldn't uh, figure it out. He couldn't uh, stop the church. He just joined the church is what he did. But that's a whole nother teaching. Now, there was a believer, verse 10, in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord. See how many people, Ananias had to listen to God too. Just think over the years how many people might have been involved in you coming to a knowledge of the Lord. Casual encounters, uh, people witnessing to you, uh, things happening in your life. God will do anything to reach us, won't he? He will do absolutely anything. He'll use people that we didn't think he would use. Then he'll call out somebody in Damascus named Ananias. And the only reason he answered was because he was used to hearing the voice of God. So we must cultivate the voice of God in our lives and and be ready when God calls us and understand and be able to recognize who it is. And Ananias says, yes, Lord, he replied. And the Lord said, Go over to the straight street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Another thing's going to happen in a minute is God's going to change his name. God can change our name too. He is praying to me right now. <laughs> Isn't this a great story? Go over and see him because he's praying right now. <laughs> I believe through prayer, God gets things done. That's why we pray here on Fridays as often as we can. That's why the church, this church has been a church of prayer for many years. Things get done. Bad things still happen, but there ain't nothing getting done without prayer. Amen. Nothing gets done without a prayer life. The life of the individual and the life of the church. He's praying to me right now. (laughs) I like that. And I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. (laughs) I once was blind, but now I see. Amen. Verse 13. (laughs) Go ahead, Harold. Yeah, Paul, he was just a baby Christian. And and the Lord gave him a vision and he showed him Ananias. He showed him and even uh, said... And so Paul had been knocked off his horse, what, three days ago? Just imagine what's going through his mind right now. You know, all this stuff taking place in his life. But some of us have stories just like that of what God has done, just miraculous things to reach us. Oh, yeah. So when he got saved, understanding came to what he knew. Yep. He didn't yep. have to be retaught. He didn't have to be taught the word. He That's knew right. the word. He, he was zealous for the word. Yes, he the was. Holy Spirit brought life to what he knew. Yep. Amen. So this was a different conversion than what I had when I was 12 years old, even though I was raised in the church. Yeah. I knew a lot about the Bible, but. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't what Paul experienced. No. no. <laughs> so, you know, so Paul didn't have to have a teacher. Right. The Holy Spirit was able to take what he already knew and yep. zap. Just like that. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it, the yeah. story? How many things just come together here? So look what happens. 
verse 13, he says, But Lord, <laughs> exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers. <laughs> this is a classic God story, isn't it? it? It is so cool how God does things. The way you least expect him, that's how he does it. And Ananias is saying, wait a minute. I've heard many terrible things, and I'm, I'm supposed to go lay hands on this guy now? And uh, he's got papers. <laughs> he's coming to get us all. He said, and in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. So Ananias, like we do sometimes, kind of wanted to debate it a little bit with God, like we all do when God tells us to do something. But it's never good to argue with God. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument Amen. to take my message to who? The Gentiles. The Gentiles. Isn't this amazing? He went from bringing a letter to kill him to being God's chosen instrument. Was he predestined to that or what? Was that his destiny? It's his call. Dest yeah. Uh, back to Calvinism and Arminianism, which we don't want to get into again. But <laughs> the Calvinists say that you had no choice in the matter. You were predestined that way. But we do have a choice. And because we have a choice, we can resist the grace of God. And Paul says, Stephen said when he was being stoned, how the people always resisted the grace of God. We have a choice in the matter of salvation. Amen. Okay? Now, some people think that we have no choice. That God picked Patty before the beginning of time, and she had no choice but to get saved. That's not what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches that we do have a choice. We have a free will. We always have a free will. We don't lose that. I believe we're saved under good works. And we were destined, the Bible teaches in Ephesians, that we were destined unto good works. We were called unto good works. How many of you believe that you're doing what God called you to do? You might say, well, I don't have a calling. Yes, you do. You know, you can serve in so many different capacities. But you have a choice to do that or not to do it. But the great thing here is, uh, he said, he's my instrument to take the message to the Gentiles. What a, what a strange instrument to use. <laughs> How God can absolutely turn a life upside down. And so we thank God for that tonight. Can he can turn lives completely upside down. But he wasn't liked either by the Jews or the Gentiles. What's that? <laughs> I said he wasn't liked by either side. Paul wasn't really. Well, And another thing about Paul that you'll find in all the epistles and in the book of Acts, he always said the wrong thing at the wrong. <laughs> he was always in trouble because Paul didn't care. Because as as Les said, he had a salvation experience that was amazing, and Paul didn't care who he offended or who he talked to, because he understood his calling. So here you have a Jew, Ananias, being told by the Holy Spirit, "Go talk to a Jew." Yeah. So he can go to the Gentiles. Yeah. So Ananias is saying, honey, 
Pizza was bad last night. <laughs> yeah, 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 really bad. <laughs> Think about it. Yeah. Ananias is doing a big jump of faith here. Yeah. He yes, must have been positive. He heard from God. Yeah. Amen. And when he heard from God, it said, you're tearing all the walls down in my life. You're going to get me trapped and killed. You're going to have me taken yeah. to Jerusalem. And yeah. you want this guy to go to the Jews who I hate? Yeah. What's the matter with you, God? Yeppers. Hallelujah. It's a great illustration. All of us have thought at times, and I mean this in all the right way, that God's crazy and he got the wrong guy, you know? I mean, sometimes you just feel that way. God, you got the wrong guy here. Go talk to Steve about it or something or talk to, you know? We've all been in that position. But this is so unique. And he says, uh, he's, I uh, picked Saul to take my message to the Gentiles, and look what else it says, and to kings. I never saw that before. He was commissioned to take the message of Jesus Christ to kings. And when you get on later in the book of Acts, Agrippa and Felix and all them guys, and he spoke, and he, he would go to Athens and speak, and he would plant all these churches, and his life was constantly in danger. But he not only took the message to the Gentiles, he was brought before kings. Wow. And it says to the verse, to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So here's another part of the package. Knocks him off his horse. I'll get to you in just a second. He knocks him off his horse. Gives him a commission, takes him to Jerusalem, speaks to Ananias. And then he says, after I get his attention real good here and his blindness is healed and you lay hands on him, then I'm going to show him how much he's going to have to suffer. Sounds like a great time, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I see in that verse. Uh, Jesus showed Paul what he was going to have to suffer. And so I think right then and there, Paul could have made a choice. He might have been uh, supernaturally called out from God, but, it, but he still, I believe he still could have had a choice and say, man, I don't want to do this. <laughs> that's what, I, believe, that's what I, I believe that too. That's what I see in the scripture. He, had, he, had a, he made a decision to, to suffer or, 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 and take the suffering or, or not go with Jesus. So you're telling me that... Um, he had no choice. You don't believe he had no choice in the matter, right? He had a choice in the matter. Yeah. Other people would get up from getting knocked down and go on their way. You know, but God had already chosen him as, a, as his vessel. He had preordained that he would take the message to the Gentiles. Well, I think it was the way of his conversion. You have to go back to that because he had, like, blessed that. He had an experience. It wasn't just like a typical, you know, uh, conversion where we pray for one another. I believe that even some say that he saw, you know, Jesus in this. So, you know, I don't believe that probably after that that he would even think of no matter what of turning back. That's just me. But. <laughs> I don't think we get a choice. Yeah. Well. He was supernaturally cold for specific thing, but even in that, he, he, he could have he he turned it down. Yeah. I believe he, from the way I read this verse, 
if, he's, if the Lord showed him what he's going to have to suffer, and then Paul could have said, well, man, you know, others don't know if I'm going to do and remember another thing, Paul was there when Stephen was stoned, and he was in agreement with it. And what did Stephen say that he saw when he looked into heaven? What did Stephen see? Where did he see? Okay. Now remember that Paul saw all that. So that was a precursor to this knock you off your horse episode too. Paul had been there and seeing Stephen looking into heaven and beholding the Lord, sitting at the right hand of the Father. So, you know, God did a lot to get to Paul. Yes, he did. But don't we believe that God knows things before? We know that God knows how we're going to respond because his word says that. He knows our thoughts and he knows what we're going to say even before we say it. So I believe that he knew, you know, who he was dealing He knew Paul. So, I mean, he knew to me when he had his conversion that he wouldn't turn back. So that's just my take on it. <laughs> that's because he's the I am. Yes. yes. So he knows all things. He already knew the choice Paul's going to make. Yeah. Everyone's <coughs> making that choice. As well as when he was called. But that does not predicate the reason God called Paul. God called Paul because he had prepared him. Yeah. for that position not because he foresaw that Paul was going to do this and I still believe Paul could have said no <laughs> <laughs> I do I do I do yeah. I think he's coming to have said no yeah. amen <laughs> Jonah had a calling he went the opposite direction what's that Jonah yeah. had a calling yeah. he went the opposite direction but there was consequences to be paid yeah yeah, yeah. that's true he did there's choice again Jeremy first got converted in uh, verse 5 chapter 9 Jesus said Saul Saul why are you persecuting me and right then and there Saul said who are you Lord uh -huh. yeah. who are you Lord and he said I am Jesus who you were persecuted now get up and go into this city and you will be told what you must do See, I think submission, yeah. when Paul saw the light, there was, he was, he was, something happened to him. And from that moment on, yeah. he, was a, he was, like he always said, he was a bondservant. Yeah. What he always writes in all of his epistles, mm -hmm. I'm a bondservant. I'm a slave to the things of Christ. And I think right at that moment when he got knocked off his horse, when he said, who are you, Lord? He was yeah, making that decision that. that he was... He was the master. He was no longer Amen. in charge. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. How could he stand in the <laughs> All right, everybody okay? Yeah. Well, look what else it says here, and then we'll go to Ephesians chapter 3. All right. Well, I wanted, to, I wanted to set it up because that happened before Ephesians. Him getting uh, rescued, saved, happened before Ephesians. And a lot of people don't know that he was commissioned by God. They, you know, they don't know the backstory of this. And I wanted to bring it out that the Lord said, He is my instrument to take the message to the Gentiles. So Ananias had to believe that too. And to kings. Okay, um, and it's, okay, verse 17. 
So Ananias went and found Saul. And he laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, <laughs> I love this. <laughs> Brother Saul. Did you see that? What's going on here? I mean, think about what's going on here. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And it says, verse 18, instantly something like scales fell from Paul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And afterwards he ate some food and regained his strength. Amen. Imagine Paul eating with that bunch. But look what else happened. It says Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is indeed the Son of God. And all who heard him wasn't, were amazed and they said, isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them and change the... That's just lit Paul up more. It says he, in verse 22, he is preaching more and more and more. Amen. So he took his calling seriously. Amen. He was sent to the Gentiles and it took, what, three days and maybe a couple of meals and off he went. So it was a glorious conversion. And it just proves uh, the magnitude of what God did in his life because when you go back to Ephesians chapter 3, which we're finally going to get back to now. Can you stop by Galatians on the way there? Yeah, we can stop by Galatians. It's on the way. Galatians 1.15. What's that? What does Saul mean in Jewish life? I don't. Stone, I what? Stone or rock? Stone or rock? But guess what Paul means? Uh, yeah. Well, Peter also means a stone or a rock. You know what Paul means? Okay. Little one. Little one. Isn't that interesting too that he got a name calling him yeah. little one? Well, he was a little bit sweet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, uh, Les. He means desired pastor. Huh? Saul means desired. Saul means desired. It's and I read. I, I, Small pebble, yeah. Okay, well, where were you, Lee? Or uh, less? Chapter 1, verse 15, 16, well, a couple of them there. Just kind of goes along with what happened after Paul was converted and the fact that the Holy Spirit became his teacher. And I thought Amen. it was interesting to see the fact that he was able to take all that he knew and the Holy Spirit became, because he didn't go under anybody's teaching. Right. He might have started preaching right there, but then he went away went away for three years and nobody knew where he was at he was getting the Holy Spirit was teaching him Amen. and the reason I think it's important I remember I was saved when I was 12 mm -hmm. in a non-Pentecostal church anti-Pentecostal church I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I turned uh, 20, 25 still in that church and so when I went searching for it spirit-filled church, I thought I was the best thing since uh, bacon, and, you know, and I just expected to walk into the church and start teaching, because that's what I was doing in the non-Pentecostal. Mm -hmm. But God said, 
in a way, not to me, but to those who are in good leadership, he needs to sit for a year and just learn, mm -hmm. not do anything. And that's what happened to Paul. So mm -hmm. it took him a little bit longer than it took me. <laughs> <laughs> but it says, but when, I, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb. See, he, he saw God's plan all the way back to his birth. Yep. Yeah. And called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Yeah. Immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Yeah. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him for 15 days. But other than the apostle saw I none, save James, the brother, the Lord's brother. Now, the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Hmm. So, after he was converted, told everybody about his conversion, he went into uh, isolation and let the Holy Spirit begin to teach him and to show him a deeper things in God that the, if, if he would have gone to the apostles and gone to the church in Jerusalem, they would have polluted his understanding of reaching the Gentiles. Right. Because they resisted them when he came yeah, back after right. three years. Yeah, him and, him and Peter had a Paul little group. Yeah. What Paul needed. Yeah. And he didn't need the advice of Jewish people that were against those that Paul was called to. Exactly. So he separated. Yeah. Well, we would have, we would have made him, well, you know what we would have made him do. Made him in our image. Yeah, we would have institutionalized him is what we would have done. Uh, did you have another comment? Uh, no? Okay. Well, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 3 now. So all this background tells you he, what, what's going on in Paul's life. He was called to be an instrument to the Gentiles and to kings, which we're going to see later on in about a year or so probably, but we'll get there. <laughs> Verse 1. <laughs> he says, when I think of all this, this is Paul. He said, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of the Gentiles. He called himself a prisoner. Jeremy said bond slave. He, he, will, he will call himself a prisoner here a couple of times. In other words, he accepted the calling and he knew that he could not escape that calling on his life. That's how real it was. Like he was a prisoner. Well, he was a prisoner when he was writing this, but he also meant that he was a prisoner to spread the news to the Gentiles. God had taken him captive. And verse 2 says, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special re responsibility of extending grace to the Gentiles. By grace are you saved through faith. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. God had a mysterious plan. And what's it going to be? Well, we'll read it. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. 
God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by His Spirit, He has revealed it to His holy apostles and prophets. Verse 6, this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe in God's, who believe in the good news, share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Remember in chapter 2 where he said you were no longer, you weren't in the covenant that I made with Israel and you were not children of hope or uh, people of the promise. But he said that the mystery that God revealed to him, I don't, I, I don't know exactly. Maybe it was in his conversion that God revealed that to him. But he was firmly convinced and God told him of his plan, both Jew and Gentile, uh, to be a part. Uh, they were to share equally in the riches that they've inherited. So we have an equal share in the kingdom of God. Everybody has an equal share, Jew and Gentile alike. Okay? And then it says... Uh, Share equally. And both are part of the same body. So Jew and Gentile are part of the same body. We're made one by the body of Christ. What else does it say? It says, And both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. Amen? That's good stuff there. That's what we both have inherited. Okay. Um, Right. That's why, unless when I hear people say, don't get stuck in the Old Testament, you know, that's all old stuff. You know, it doesn't apply to us today. You, the gospel's not the gospel without the old, you know, without the. Paul Brooke came out of the Old Testament. Sure, he did. He, he was a, and what, what did Jesus quote the most? The Old Testament. The Old Testament. Well, that's what he had, but he quoted Isaiah. The book of Isaiah was his most quoted book. The prophecies were all about Isaiah 9, Isaiah 55, Isaiah 53, all those prophecies. Malachi chapter 4, He shall arise, the Son of Righteousness, with healing in His wings. All the prophecies come out of the... And what did Jesus say? He said, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill the law. So, and He did. The only part that's dead is the law as the use of the law to obtain righteousness through sacrifice. Right, right. That's what's dead. The principles are still alive. Right, the principles of the law. If we break the commandments, we, deal with it. we, we still deal with it, don't we? I mean, that's God's law. We're not under the law, but I think sometimes that the greatest grief that we bear is what we do to ourselves. I really believe that. That's what he did to him. Mm-hmm. Not the religion of the law. And that's where we fight a lot of times within the church, mm-hmm. is trying to figure out why aren't you acting like I am acting? <laughs> I've got it down. Yeah. Well, I've got part of it down, and I want her to have my part down, but she's got her part down, and she wants me to have. 
her part down. <laughs> and so we argue with each other all the time, trying to get each other to act like the other person. And the fact is, we're, probably, we're both wrong. We should be acting like Jesus. Amen. Amen. Verse 8. I think you have to go okay. back to verse 5, though. I did. <laughs> did I skip over that? No, but I'm just saying that's an important part to me because this is a mystery of God that was not known to any generation, it says, until now. You know, that the Jew and the Gentile were coming together. So it was not known in the Old Testament. It was kept hidden. And it wasn't revealed until, you know, Jesus died on the cross and that. And that's when we got the mystery and the revelation, you know. So, so uh, it was appealed to the uh, apostles and the prophets by the Holy Spirit, you know. So, I mean, that was probably, <laughs> that, that's a big deal to me when the Jew and the Gentile, you know, came together the as one the new one man. new man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I can imagine... You know, we, we already know from Acts that when he went back, you know, that's what they, they thought, that the Gentiles had to be Jews in order to be Christians right. in the early church. Right. So we have to kind of look at that, too, and say, okay, you know, because the Jews thought when they got saved, well, I mean, you know, they were the, the chosen people. We were really <coughs> nothing. Well, no, they still had the same attitude toward the Gentiles until all this happened with Peter and it happened with Paul. They still, and, and even after that, you know, they had councils and had a meeting about it, which, yeah. you know. And for God, you know, when he died, to give us the same riches, think about that, as his chosen people who lived under the law and did everything according to, you know, what God said in order to have covenant with him. And then when he died in the cross, you know, our grace through faith, you know, we got the same riches, the same blessings, the same, you know. Amen. Amen. Salvation was granted to us, the Gentiles. Verse 8. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Remember, he's talking to the church at Ephesus now. And though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ, unsearchable riches. Amen. That is a privilege to tell people yeah. about how rich it is when you're serving. I was chosen to explain everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose, why did he keep it secret? This will tell you. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Hallelujah. Wow. Yeah. Are we fighting out against flesh and blood? This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in Him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Boy, that's, that's a strong word there. When Paul said he's suffering for the people in Ephesus, that's a strong word. He said you should feel honored that I'm suffering for you. 
verse 14. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand. I've never seen it that way. We need the power to understand. The power of the Holy Ghost moving upon him. In the Old Testament, the Holy Ghost would come upon people and they would prophesy. We have the Holy Spirit. All of us uh, have the Holy Spirit. He said your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Remember what we taught last week? What uh, grace is. Uh, mercy is negative and love is positive. So you put the two together, mercy and uh, love, and it comes out grace. So that's what grace is. Um, God said we need the power to understand, as all of God's people should, how wide, how long, how deep, and how high His love is. Amen? Amen. So if we're rooted and grounded in that, then our roots can go way down into the height, the width, the depth. And it says in verse 19, may you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So what Paul is doing after he establishes his credentials here and he encourages the church, he says, I'm thankful for you guys at Ephesus. I'm thankful for you. And, and when I hear about your good works, I, I pray that you'll tap more in to the goodness of God. That's why we have church. That's why we have Bible study is to encourage people to tap into the power that God has available to them. If you don't understand something, then you have a Bible study to ask it or, you know, so we can uh, search out the unfathomable riches. His resources are unlimited. And he said, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power. There's power again at work within us. He's able through His power at work within us. So what's that tell us about who we should depend on? His power working in us. Yeah. Remember in the book of Ephesians, 35 times it says, in Him, or through Him, or with Him. So Paul's trying to teach the Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, that nothing gets accomplished unless it's in Him, through Him, or with Him. Sound like a prayer I prayed when I was in Catholic school. But they didn't get it all wrong, I'll tell you that, because uh, we used to pray prayers like that. Uh, how many of you know the Apostles' Creed? Alright, well, us ex Catholics, we remember the Apostles' Creed very well. It's a good prayer. It's a good prayer. But you gotta be careful. It says, All glory to God who's who through his mighty power will accomplish this within us. To accomplish it infinite, infinitely more than we might ask or think. So by the power of God, not only will he do what we might ask, he will do even more than we might ask or think. 
That's a good deal there. Yeah. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Now, I want to go to chapter 4 real quick and point out to you again, just as he started in chapter 3, what did he call himself at the beginning of chapter 3? He said, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for our benefit. So if you're called to the ministry and God asks you to do some things, realize sometimes that it's for other people's benefit. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. The ministry is to benefit other people. Amen. I mean, there's benefits when you act out on what God's told you to do. But really, the purpose of the anointing is to benefit other people. Yeah. The anointing breaks the yoke off of people's back. Yeah. The anointing breaks the yoke of misunderstanding. The knowledge is anointed. The fear of God is anointed. I can't get that scripture out of my mind in, in Psalm 19 that says the, the fear of the Lord is clean. Yeah. Wow. That means so much. The fear of the Lord is clean. Don't we all want to be clean? Mm -hmm. The fear of the Lord. I was with Gary yesterday and he was talking about God's been telling him. I almost take away his message yeah. for Sunday just speaking to him about the fear of God how it's falling all over the Middle East so there's a fear of God that's really happening right now Amen. and so that makes us clean I fear God Amen. not in the wrong way because I'm saved but I have a reverent fear yeah. for God that I will come short because the word says all have sinned and come short of his glory and we sing songs about the glory of the Pentecostals. We want the glory. Well, I don't want to come short of His glory by my actions. So I have a fear of God. Amen. And if I sin, as John says, we all sin, why do you go back to your knees and confess your sin? Yeah. Why don't you just play it off? You say, oh God, you know, you know how I am. <laughs> you, know how, you know how I am, God. You know, it's just, it's just the way I am. But we go back and we confess our sin because we have a fear of yeah. God. So, I don't know how I got off on fear, but first one of chapter 4. Let me go back. Yeah, okay, go ahead. I'm liking this because I'm getting some feedback here. It's 19 and 20. We, we understand that Jesus performed all miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right not of himself. He was our perfect example in all things. The faith that we have, that we have been given by the Holy Spirit, these two scriptures tell us you have the fullness of God in you. Amen. Jesus wasn't special by that. Yep. You have, I always ask people, how much of the Holy Spirit do you have? If you don't have a measure of the Holy Spirit, you either have the Holy right. Spirit dwelling within you or you don't. Or you don't, yeah. yeah. So, the issue, because here's my, and it's, it's a question, it's what eats inside of me. I see the church always begging God for stuff. Always coming before God in a praise service, fighting the battle, fighting this. Yeah. And inside of me, I'm thinking, 
if you only knew who was in you, yeah. you wouldn't have to fight the battle. Amen. You'd be able to rest in God, Amen. rest in Christ, have peace in His love, and not be one who's out there always beating. God, give me, God, give me, God, give me, God, give me. God's giving you everything you need. Amen. There's nothing that He's withheld from you. He says, if you'll just anchor in my love, I'll do a work inside of you that you can't even imagine. Yeah. It's faith. It's what we're going to believe. Are we going to trust God that he has my best interest in store? Not just for me, for be jealous of, that I would be jealous, but the fact that he can use me to help other people. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, that's one of the reasons God has called me to bring the church to worship is because worship is that place of surrender and peace and rest, saying, I know who my God is, and I can trust him with whatever need I have in my life. He has got it in his hands. I don't need to fight. The battle is his. It's not mine. My healing is in Christ Jesus. It's Amen. not in me. It's not in the doctors. I can rest in him. And if it's my time to go, maybe I'm ready to go. I don't need I don't need to stay here any longer than I have to. Amen. I don't need to stay in this life any longer than God has purpose for me. When I died in 2010, and the Holy Spirit came to me and said to me, where do you want to go? I was dead. And I turned, I heard the voice, I heard the voice of the angel of the Lord say to me, where do you want to go? And instantly, it felt like instantly, but there's no time in eternity. I said, Lord, not my will, but yours. Amen. And I felt like I came back into my life immediately. And so I didn't worry, have to worry about healing. I just said, okay, God, you brought me back here. It's your responsibility. Take care. <laughs> and so I rested in him. The and was back. I, didn't, I did not worry about getting home. I didn't worry about what he had in store for me. I was at peace with God, and I was at rest with God, and I worshiped God. That's my desire. And when we look at this scripture, the scripture says all of that right there in this two scriptures. God wants to work inside of each and every one of us more than we woke up this morning thinking he was going to. Amen. Because he has put the fullness of God in our hearts. Amen. Good stuff. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, Les had a serious accident. Some years back, 2010 was it? He had a serious motorcycle accident. And it was bad times, wasn't it? But it was good times. You're here. It was bad time for my family, but you know what? I felt the presence of God immediately. And I had no pain. I had a broken rib, broken shoulder blade, broken collarbone. Uh, my face was crushed. I have 16 plates in my face. I had a brain bleed. I had broken collapsed lung. And God spared me out. You know what the only yeah. thing that hurt? I was sitting there in the hospital bed, 
I looked at my finger, it was hurting. <laughs> I pushed the button, said, nurse, look, my finger's broken. She took it and worked at it. She said, yep, it is, and walked out of the room. Yay for her. She says, with everything you got going wrong with you, that finger could stay <laughs> But you know what? I felt God's presence. I felt people praying for me. I knew God was in control. Amen. And I, and I, and I never felt any pain. That's amazing. God is in control. Amen. He's given us Amen. everything we need. Yeah, we got to stop begging and start enjoying. Amen. I like that word. Stop begging and enjoying. Amen. Well, I agree with you. That's it says that we can ask, uh, he can do what above what we could ask That's or right. think. He has plans for us and ways for us that we can't even Woo. imagine. And I always thought I had bigger. No. God's got bigger. He's got bigger than me. Amen. He does. Amen. Well, next week we're going to go through chapter 4. All right.